Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, I had a really uh, very good conversation with Rihanna Davies, uh, one of the co-founders and managing directors of uh, Sandpiper Ventures. Sandpiper Ventures is a very unique uh, organization. It's a venture fund that was created for women or or women-led startups. It uh, provides early seed capital uh, for uh, new startups. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great conversation. I think that's exciting. The obviously uh, women founders are underrepresented, but we are seeing some very interesting women-led companies in our region, and even in the infrastructure. You and I have interviewed uh, Catherine Lockhart at Propel and others that are are taking a lead role, trying to incubate uh, tech startups across Atlantic Canada. So it's great to see a, a venture capital fund that's moving into that space and trying to encourage more and support more uh, female founders. Yeah. And Sandpepper uh, Ventures are, are are really driven by three successful women, uh, in addition to Rihanna, who's had a, a very interesting international career. Uh, it includes Kathy Bennett, who we've, we've had on this podcast, a former politician and uh, Minister of Finance for Newfoundland and Labrador, but also a very successful uh, entrepreneur who ran the Bennett Group of Companies, um, and Sarah Young, who's very well known uh, in the public relations field as a as a senior uh, practitioner with uh, National. So, you know, very talented group of women. Uh, they also have an advisory uh, a group of uh, very successful women as well. They've made a number of re- recent uh, announcements uh, about uh, some of their investment. Uh, they they successfully raised the first twenty million dollar venture capital fund, uh, which came from a variety of sources, both public and private. And um, the one interesting thing that that I learned, and I, I guess I should have known this, is that um, you know they make the initial investment in in a, in a startup, but they also hold back funds for a second round. So you know they're not just going to get them going; they're going to be there if they show promise. Uh, to get them to the next stage, and I thought that that was uh, maybe that's maybe that's just a normal strategy, but I hadn't heard that before. Uh, one of the things that was interesting as well is that of all the VC funding available worldwide, um, women only receive less than three percent of it. So they're very you know underrepresented in terms of having access to venture capital. Um, further, another stat that I think is interesting is that only 15% of partners in venture capital funds in Canada are female. Well, in Atlantic Canada, we have one that is 100% female and focused on, on, on this, uh, segment of the market. So, you know, very interesting, um, um, I guess venture for, for them to do, uh, they've made a number of uh, investments, and uh, of course, the success will be determined by the success of the companies that they invest in. And, uh, you know, we'll see that over time. Well, I didn't get a chance to interview her with you. So I'm looking forward, as well as the listeners, to hear hear this uh, important conversation. Yeah. And just before I, I introduce uh, that conversation, uh, this is something else that I think is interesting. Women-led companies tend to create more value than their male con- counterparts and uh, up to 60% more value creation, uh, which I found interesting. They're also uh, um, likely to derive a higher uh, return on investment 
on average, 35% higher than all male teams. And, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, we, sh we, we know this ourselves that having, you know, female representations on management teams and in the boardrooms uh, does make a difference to performance of companies. We know that for, from some of the past uh, work that we've done, but just, just reiterates that point. And, you know, you have to give uh, a lot of credit uh, to these three women who uh, stepped up uh, to uh, provide this kind of funding in Atlantic Canada. Of course, they invest uh, with companies outside the region, but they are based in Atlantic Canada and, uh, you know, uh, deserving of uh, a lot of credit for that uh, that success. So without further ado, here's our my conversation with Rihanna Davis, uh, the, one of the co-founders and managing director of Sandpiper Ventures. We are pleased to be joined on the Insights Podcast today by Rhiannon Davis, the founder and managing partner of Sandpaper Ventures. Rhiannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Don. It's great to be here. Yeah, we always like to begin by finding out a little bit about our guest. Uh, I'd like uh, you to tell us a little bit about your background and the path that led you to founding Sandpaper, uh, Sandpiper uh, Ventures. Sure. I, uh, I grew up in New Brunswick, in rural New Brunswick. I went off to university in Montreal, and I, I ended up spending most of my professional life in the, in the Netherlands, building companies in the medical technology, specialized nutrition, and consumer product spaces, um, with a really significant focus on manufacturing and supply chain, and, and most recently, um, taking a, a PE-backed company called Grand Vision, which is in the global eye care space, um, public on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, and we raised uh, $1.5 billion in, in that um, transaction. And I stayed for two years to, to settle things in and then jumped on a, on a sailboat with my family, left the Netherlands, um, and, and made it my way towards uh, Halifax in 2018, um, really with the intention of doing something fabulous and impactful um, that leveraged my background and experience, but without a very clear picture of exactly what that was going to look like. Um, and quite quickly, I met up with Sarah Young, who's now um, uh, one of the uh, the other co-founding and managing partners of Sandpiper. And she'd been working on an idea um, to bring more women into the innovation and tech-driven economy. Um, that is, sort of, women are in exceedingly underserved and underrepresented in, uh, in the technology uh, sector. Um, and she had, she brought together a group of about nine women, um, and we really worked together, rolled up our sleeves and said, well, what, what, what can we do to, uh, to bridge this gap and, and take advantage of this opportunity? Right. And so, um, obviously Sandpiper Ventures is a venture capital fund focused on women led companies. They don't have to be exclusively women, obviously they, but they need to have significant women, participation in those companies. Uh, when exactly was Sandpiper founded? And, and maybe, you know, tell us a little bit more about the motivation be, be behind the foundation of Sandpiper Ventures, especially in a place like Atlantic Canada. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> we tend to be last in terms of these sort of things. This seems like a, one of those firsts, right? It, it is. Um, Sam Piper is actually the uh, the, the second largest um, and the second uh, women-led uh, VC fund um, focused on, on women-led companies. Um, we were founded in 2020, and indeed, we don't focus 
only on companies that uh, that have women in leadership, but a woman needs to be in the C-suite for more than a year, and she needs to have equitable ownership. And uh, we're not doing this because we think women are better. We're doing this because we know, and statistics have proven, that um, having diversity in your team, in your C-suite, and your board leads to better ideation and, and essentially better company development. So, so that was the motivation. We saw that you know, only 3% of VC dollars were going to women-led companies. Um, and we recognized that, wow, that's an incredible gap. We've made progress in other areas, in board leadership, in, 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 uh, um, in company leadership. But in this area of innovation and early stage startups, very little money and very little women's innovation is, was being commercialized. So we, we saw the gap um, and, and the need, and we did a lot of research with women-led companies understanding what they needed. And what we resoundingly heard from those companies is, we got a lot of mentorship. We are invited to participate in all kinds of programs. Um, however, we, we don't get capital. And we don't get the right kind of leadership that will really enable us to, to build our companies. Um, so that was for us enough to say, well, clearly the gap is in capital. Um, and we are a group of, of ex-CEOs. Um, so bringing together that capital and that expertise in company building, we've been there, we've done that, and we can share those learnings is, is the right combination for what can help to fill the gap in the innovation ecosystem in, uh, in Atlantic Canada. Um, and why shouldn't Atlantic Canada be first? Um, Atlantic Canada is punching above its weight or starting to punch above its weight in terms of you know, successes in companies, in life sciences, in, uh, in healthcare, um, in digital technologies. There's some great success stories from the region. So why shouldn't we um, find more of those and, and create Sandpiper to be one as well? Yeah, so you you do have a, a, a very experienced group of uh, other people involved. Tell us a little bit about the other principals involved in uh, Sandpiper. Well, Kathy Bennett um, is uh, is the third uh, the third partner along with myself and and Sarah Young. Kathy is is well known in the region and across Canada as uh, as a former um, finance minister in Newfoundland and a, and a, and a wonderful. Uh, builder and, and creator and grower of companies in uh, in the region. So she is the third partner and, and Sarah Young is, is of course, um, uh, was the managing partner at, uh, at National, also an entrepreneur who's been creating companies. Um, the three of us form the general partnership and we are the principals in the company. And we're supported by a very broad and deeply experienced group of other women in the region um, who have been staunch supporters of, of Sandpiper from the uh, from the from its genesis. Yeah, I, I know some of the people on your advisory board, but maybe you want to mention, uh, you know, kind of the um, ex examples of people who serve on your advisory board. We have Shannon McDonald, who is uh, who is uh, mm -hmm. leading the healthcare practice at as Ernst Young, Karen Hutt, who is uh, who is a, a strategic um, head of strategy at uh, at Amira. Amy Reesley, uh, then um, Cher Chapman, who is the CEO of, of um, uh, DGI Global, uh, Nicole LeBlanc, who is now living in Japan and, and leading a, a $300 million fund in the, uh, in the sustainable cities space, um, and Osge Yeloglu, who is the head of, um, of, of digital and, and the CIO of, of CIBC. So a mm. rich group of executive women who have built companies 
driven sort of company growth um, and are really engaged in, in building innovation and technology in Atlantic Canada. Well, it is an impressive uh, group for sure. Um, tell us about the process that you that, that you use to determine which companies Sandpiper will invest early seed stage funding. We do have a very rigorous evaluation and due diligence process. Um, it's um, a very templated approach to evaluate the team, the market, the level of disruption of the technology, the competitive landscape and the business model. Um, we spend significant time with the team um, and existing and prospective customers. Um, and we activate industry experts to support the market in technical due diligence. Um, VC investments are really a long-term relationship and we need to like, we need to believe in the founders and they need to like and believe in us. Um, it's really a relationship and we aim to be fair investors who advocate for the rights of the founders. And once we've been through that rigorous process um, of getting to know each other, um, the final decision on any investment requires the unanimous support of, of the three general partners. And that is Kathy Bennett, Sarah Young and myself. Right. Uh, just a, a side question. Does the advisory board uh, play any role in that selection process or are they there for other purposes? They are there to to provide advice and support for the companies that we invest in, but they are all limited partners in the fund um, and as such cannot um, take part in the actual decision making process. Okay, gotcha. Uh, one of the statistics cited in your promotional material is that women-led companies generate a 35% higher ROI than their all-male counterparts. That's, a, that's an impressive number. Can you tell us uh, what the basis is for this improved performance in, in, based on your um, you know, understanding? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've seen this in, in fact as well, in addition to the statistics that we see. Um, but women are... are historically out of necessity, extremely capital efficient. Women have continued to have difficulty obtaining investment or securing loans. And as such, they tend to drive fast, efficient revenue generation um, with really, really great focus. And this ability to turn a little into a lot, this efficiency and this focus and resourcefulness really quite directly affects the ROI of the company. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I had the I had the experience of working in the, the company that I owned. Uh, it was uh, it was a at one point it was eighty percent uh, women, um, and uh, uh, on our senior management team, uh, there, there were there were two uh, women who ended up uh, being uh, part of the management buyout of the company, and it's now led by women. So I'm actually I'm quite proud of that fact. It, uh, was able to uh, see that happen, and the company continues to be extremely successful under their leadership. So, you know, I have a, I guess I have a personal stake in this. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I like to hear more and more real life uh, examples of, of that reality. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was great experience all around. Uh, you also cite, and you've mentioned it earlier, that women receive less than three percent of the VC funding available worldwide. Uh, you know, that's. Uh, that's interesting uh, for sure, but, uh, but uh, you know, this is the old statistician in me, a statistician in me. What percentage of entrepreneurs uh, seeking venture capital in Canada are women? Do you have any idea? Maybe that might be a hard question. It, it is a hard question, and, and fundamentally, I'd, I'd like to reframe it a bit because 
51% of the population are women. Um, and we see significant growth in the number of women starting businesses, both SMEs and tech companies. There's certainly no shortage of demand for capital from high performing and high potential women led companies. Women are underinvested and they get fewer checks and they get smaller checks. And at the same time, women control 80% of healthcare and consumer spend, and they're gaining control of a growing proportion of wealth. So it makes sense to invest. Um, and the demand is there. It's certainly not a 50-50 demand, but it is significantly larger than, uh, than the 3% that is allocated. Yeah, no, that's the point I was getting at, you know, that uh, obviously women uh, make up uh, half the population. Um, they're probably in a catch-up phase in terms of the percent um, who are getting involved in their entrepreneurial environment. So I understand. I just wondered what the gap was, you know, uh, and, and it's again, it's probably a hard number to come by, but uh, it'd be an interesting number for sure. Certainly uh, the, the variance on um, sort of women's entrepreneurship in Canada, StatsCan has them at sort of 18% of the companies. So women are creating um, a larger number of companies, certainly that is reflected in the VC space. And even 18 is sort of an abysmally low number, but it's significantly greater. So the, the, the company creation and the, and, the, uh, and the employment numbers demonstrate that women are actually building and growing companies in Canada um, at a larger state than the, than the VC and the innovation economy is supporting. Yeah, that's a good benchmark for sure to, to, to see, um, you know, um, uh, how uh, women-led companies are, are, are developing for sure. Um, another uh, statistic cited is that only 15% of partners in venture capital funds like yours are female, even less than in Atlantic Canada. Um, obviously, the percentage of your partners that are female are 100%. Absolutely, so you're, you're, absolutely, and proudly so, yes. Yeah, you're, you're bringing up the average, <laughs> so good for you. Um, you recently an, uh, announced a very successful close of your what you call your SB Fund 1, where you exceeded your initial fundraising goal of $20 million. Uh, how difficult was it for Sandpiper to raise this initial fund? It was exceedingly difficult, um, but we have a phenomenal team and we have a very robust group around us. Um, so we managed to keep our chin up, but we went about it in a way that reflected the sort of the ethos of who Sam Piper is. And, and in that, we, we wanted to make sure that in addition to Sandpiper having 100% of its uh, of its um, sort of investment decision makers and its partners as women, we also wanted to have a significant number of our limited partners and investors as women. So we reached out into the community and actually trained and activated a large number of women in Atlantic Canada to become investors, and many of them had never been investors before. So we sort of built it from the grassroots up, increasing participation of women um, as we built the fund, and. In addition to sort of the inherent bias around women and the fact that we knocked our heads on doors that were not open to us, which was shocking for, for, for those of us who have, who have, who have you know, been in the business world for a long time, we also made sure to raise money in a more inclusive way, which, um, which was more, more time consuming as well. So I, I'm delighted to say that we, are, we were successful, we oversubscribed, but it was a, it was a challenging path to get here. 
But I'm delighted that we've ended up with 73% of the private investors in the fund are women, um, which is mm. which is also a remarkable statistic. Yeah, that's that's impressive for sure. Uh, what percentage or por- proportion of the money was raised within Atlantic Canada? Do you know that number? 65%. Um, all four Atlantic provinces uh, invested in the fund and a number of private investors and, and small regional funds um, also uh, also participated. Yeah, I don't know if you're, you can answer this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who are the largest investors in the fund? Can you give us a, a, yeah. a, a, some examples? Yeah, we have four of the of the big five national Canadian banks invested in Fund One, um, and more than fifty percent, close to fifty five percent of our capital is private capital, which is very unusual um, in Canada and certainly in the region. Um, and much of it is coming from new investors to the region. Right, right. Uh, I noticed that there was some pushback over the province of Nova Scotia's five million dollar investment in the fund. You know, this is maybe a difficult question to answer, but I'm going to ask it. What is the basis of this pushback, uh, from your perspective? Well, raising capital as women, um, we're certainly under a, a, a different level of scrutiny and held to a different standard than than other fund managers are. Um, there's been a great deal of comparison to sort of, well, if, if money is going to women, there are other women's initiatives that it should have gone to, as opposed to comparing um, uh, what Sandpiper is building to the general venture capital landscape. But that said, I, I would say that smart investors and smart governments understand that investing in inclusive innovation is good business. Um, it's investing in early stage technology has a very high ROI. Early stage tech companies attract top talent and they hire more people. Um, These are companies that are solving the major problems that we're facing in the world. And we need to make sure that we're investing in the women that are building these companies and in inclusive innovation so that we're building a sustainable companies and a sustainable economy for every member of the population. So yes, there was pushback, but really the, the 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 smart investors and the smart governments um, continue to to understand the value of investing in inclusive innovation yeah i i i wanted to ask i should have asked this question earlier because like you know we're ta- talking about the bit, the long term vision of sandpiper you know how big will sandpiper be in 10 years time, you're at 20 million, 20 plus million right now. I'm going to ask you shortly what portion of that fund is already invested. But what, what level of investment do you think is possible for your venture fund in 10 years time? We're seeing an incredible pipeline of companies across the country, an incredible richness of pipeline in Atlantic Canada. Um, we intend to build this into a, a series of uh, of significantly growing uh, funds. Um, The opportunity is there. It's untapped. Um, The innovators and the entrepreneurs are there. So this in 10 years time will be a a, a five fund um, franchise with um, potentially new people and evolving uh, partners in leadership. But um, but Sandpiper is very much here to stay and grow. So are you talking about $100 million? Is that what I just heard you say? <laughs> Five funds? 
much more than $100 million. Yes. Okay. I have you on record. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us, uh, what, is, what portion of the fund is currently invested? We hold back a, a, a significant portion for follow-on investment. So hmm. um, we have now invested in 11 companies in the portfolio. Um, we have spots left for one or two more companies in this fund. Um, okay. So a, a significant portion of the portfolio, um, but we are making sure that we still have capital to invest in a second round and continue to retain our ownership and continue to support the companies in the portfolio, particularly in this market. Yeah, I, I think that that's a point that I, I'd like our listeners to understand, that early seed money is probably the riskiest in terms of startups, obviously, and getting, getting companies to the next level is really key for success. So that's why you have money held in in supply as opposed for that purpose, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And we hold 60%, which is slightly larger than, uh, that, slightly more than most uh, most VCs because we do believe very strongly in the long-term relationship and our ability to continue to support. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you uh, about the impact higher interest rates, inflation, and geopolitical tensions are having on the environment to raise venture funds right now. Does that have an impact at all? Absolutely. It, it's it's a super tough environment. Um, yeah, there are huge concerns that the companies won't get follow-on funding, that capital is drying up, and high interest rates are making borrowing um, prohibitive. And, and obviously, the levels of global unrest and uncertainty are, are terrible for the economy and, and startups. And, and uncertainty in general um, is never good for um, high-risk asset classes. Um, but that said, history has shown us that investing in market downturns offers significant potential upside, um, especially when it comes to patient capital like VC. I'm not looking for a return next year. I'm looking for a five to seven year return. And by that time, we'll be out of this. Um, so funds that started out in a time of crisis historically perform very well. Um, and in addition, women-led companies in 2008 and 2009 showed higher growth and employment figures than male-led companies. So in addition to, to sort of the opportunity of investing in a in a low market in in patient capital spaces and in technology driven companies investing in underrepresented highly capital efficient individuals is also a great opportunity at this time and finally tech companies are solving massive and messy problems like access to efficient healthcare solutions climate solutions labor force solutions these are really disruptive companies. They're creating sustainable and much needed solutions. So from our perspective, now is the perfect time to invest, even though there are headwinds. And, and again, smart investors are seeing that. And, and we will see capital going to the right kind of companies, even in this time. But we need to manage carefully how our portfolio is, uh, is keeping their own head above the water. So uh, can I assume that you're always... Uh in, in search of more capital and that, that you're maybe working on fund two already. Is that, is that a reasonable assumption? <laughs> that is an absolutely reasonable assumption. As I say, we are, we are building this into a, um, a collection of funds and, and we will continue to, to, to build and grow the, the Sandpiper uh, fund portfolio. Is it, is it another $20 million fund you're looking at or is it bigger? <laughs> Can you tell it us that? It's larger, but, uh, but the details okay. are to come. 
Oh, come on. Come on. You can break it here on this show. It's okay. <laughs> um, you know, you, you already mentioned that Sandpiper has 11, I guess, companies in your portfolio. Uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the focus of your investment strategies in a specific sector, a specific type of company? What are you looking for exactly? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we invest in companies with women leaders, with women as equitable owners, as I mentioned. Um, we invest in Canadian companies only. Um, we invest in companies at the seed stage. Um, Tech-enabled companies that are purpose-driven in healthcare, life sciences, climate tech, software, and consumer tech. So really four vertical right. spaces because that is where our expertise is and that's where we see opportunities for uh for women-led companies uh, for companies as a whole actually yeah and, and you're not limited to companies in atlantic canada you're looking everywhere in canada right we do look everywhere in canada and we see opportunities everywhere in canada however Part of our secret sauce is that we know all of the companies in Atlantic Canada and there are huge opportunities and we have a huge pent up demand in Atlantic Canada that hasn't been serviced. Um, right. So we are significantly over indexing in Atlantic Canada beyond the sort of 60 40 expectation that we had um, uh, when we started out and that's 60 percent Atlantic Canadian investment. But we're, we're significantly over that because the opportunities are, are massive. Well, you know, uh, David and I had the opportunity over the last year or so to talk to virtually every accelerator and incubator across Atlantic Canada, and we came away from that experience uh, with uh, with a great sense of optimism about the level of entrepreneur activity, startup activity that's happening across Atlantic Canada. I'm sure that uh, you're following those uh, organizations with great interest as we are now too. There's been some really, you know, there a few unicorn companies have already come out of Atlantic Canada, uh, which for our listeners, just so they know, are companies that are now worth a billion dollars in capital. So um, obviously you're looking for a few of those yourself, aren't you? We absolutely are. We absolutely are. And we think that we found some. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, how much uh, would uh, Sandpiper typically invest in a startup company? And maybe not just the amount, but uh, do you have a percentage that you're trying to stay kind of in the ballpark around? We are, are keen to, to obtain sort of between 5 and 10% ownership of a company, um, and we, which means we essentially we write checks between a half million and a million dollars initial checks, and uh, and as I mentioned, we reserve significant money for for our capital for for follow on, which means that we could go up to ten uh, percent of the fund or just over two million per company. Okay, all right. Oh, that's a significant amount of money. Um, I I, I want to come back to the companies that you that you currently have in your portfolio. Uh, and I'd like you, if you would, to give us uh, some examples of companies that uh, that you're particularly excited about right now. You, you have eleven. You know, what are the one or two or three that you're that people need to be following? Sure, um, I'll, I'll pick a couple of the more recent ones um, because they're top of mind and they're incredibly exciting. But I, I could go on for more than an hour, so I, I, I will curtail my enthusiasm on these. But okay. um, the first one I'll talk about is, is Shoelace. Shoelace Learning is a uh, is a Nova Scotia-based company that is led by a woman called Julia Rivard. She is an ex-Olympian. 
um, which, which speaks a bit to her determination to succeed. Um, and Julia has built um, a company that is in the ed tech space or education technology space, but it is um, teaching children in K to grade eight reading skills, um, but doing it on a game-based platform. And being game-based instead of um, game-enabled or game-enhanced really derives a stronger stickiness. Um, and, and this platform has 4 million users. Teachers are enthusiastically embracing it. And each teacher um, will then um, uh, bring that solution to 25 students. And at a time when more than 50% of the population leaves high school with under than acceptable um, or grade level reading skills, a solution like this that is engaging and um, supports reading skills is, is phenomenally important. And she's doing it and she's building it in a way that is culturally sensitive to um, people from different backgrounds and different um, um, uh, and, and different um, uh, socioeconomic classes globally. Um, and she's seeing incredible success. The, 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 the revenue numbers that she and the team are generating with a very purpose-driven uh, company is exactly the kind of company that we need to be uh, and we love to be investing in at, at Sandpiper. Yeah, could I just, uh, you know, uh, the timing for that company couldn't hardly be any better with the learning deficit that happened as a result of the pandemic. One of the things I'm struck by is the how little attention the, uh, the departments of education provincially are focused on trying to make up that gap. And certainly reading is one of those skills that got hurt badly during the pandemic. So that might, uh, that might be a bit of a boost for, for Shoelace, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that we tested was this purely a, a, a pandemic growth spurt. But but certainly, I mean, reading skills are not something that you pick up overnight. It's a it's a, it's, it's a gradual uh, improvement. And the pandemic has sort of opened teachers, parents and students eyes to the need for kind of auxiliary and additional engaging solutions to uh, to, to support their education. Yeah, could I just ask a couple of questions about Shoelace just uh, sure. to better understand it? So how is the revenue created for this? I'd be interested to know. Is that through the school system uh, that uh, that would would uh, pay some sort of, I don't know, subscription fee for this? How does that work? Yeah, the company has, has tried to sell through school boards, but it's very difficult to do that. So it, 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 the way it works now is that um, the teachers can use it as a classroom tool. Um, and then there is a, it's a, um, it, there's a free version, and uh, and parents and students and teachers can upgrade to a to a paid subscription um, to to unlock additional benefits. Um, right. And the company is seeing some very very sort of better than market conversion rates because many of these uh, these gamified platforms or game based platforms are based upon a sort of a a free model and then a freemium sort of premium right. upgrade. Um, but uh, but Shoelace is seeing very, very exciting conversion um, percentages, um, which um, really sort of was one of the things that convinced us that this was not only necessary, but uh, but also a great business opportunity. Right. Well, uh, give us one more example. Uh, that, that one was a good one. Give us a give us another good one. Um, another one that I'm I'm 
extremely excited about. And this one was announced um, just last week as SIFTMED. This is a, a Newfoundland-based company that is led by Holly Hill. And Holly Hill has quite a pedigree in the innovation space. She used to be the director of sales and was one of the early um, employees of, of, of Arifin. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, many of the team of Arifin also participated in, in, uh, in this fundraising round that Sandpiper led. Um, but what SIFMED does, it's a, um, a an AI platform that does just what it's called. It sifts through medical files. So if there's been an accident and uh, um, somebody as uh, the medical files are, you know, the police reports at the accident, what, at the check-in at the hospital, and much of it is, is, is handwritten and there are pieces of paper here and there. And what SIFMED does is through its, um, its um, um automatic language processing, it reads and builds a chronology um, that can be used for the medical examiners. It can also be used by legal professionals and it can be used by the insurance companies to really evaluate um, what happened um, most effectively. And, And much of the sort of confusion and inefficiency in the healthcare system is that records are are sort of spread here and there, and much of it is is still um, manually input. And what SIFMED does is it is it builds great efficiency and visibility into that process. Um, and if there's anything we need in the world right now, it's more efficiency and clarity and visibility in our healthcare systems to to support patient care. Yeah, and in fact, uh, as you know, the province of Nova Scotia just announced a fairly big uh, deal to digitize all the records uh, in Nova Scotia, which I I actually thought had been in process for years, but apparently it hadn't. So there you go. So again, another interesting opportunity for you. Well, those are just two of eleven at the moment, and the, and the pipeline behind us is is very rich. So as I say, I could talk all day about them. Well, that's why we have you on the podcast, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you, where are female-led startup companies coming from? Are they coming through the post-secondary sector, incubators or accelerators like Volta Lab? Where where are you seeing them emerge from? They're coming from a number of places. They're coming from Volta. They're coming from CDL and Propel and the Amer Idea Hub and Genesis and MBIF and Bounce. Um there are some great ecosystem players there and out there, and, and we really do get a, an incredible amount of incoming um, referrals there. We get a lot of referrals from funds across Canada um, looking to co-invest. We get cold outreach from women who have just heard about Sandpiper and, and are interested in accessing um, the, the, the Sandpiper network. And we get a lot of great referrals from, from companies in our in our current portfolio. So it's it's a mix, mm. and we have a, um, a sort of a rich system for prioritizing those, but we really do sort of collaborate and seek um, um, companies um, in, in many, many different places um, to, uh, to, 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 to bring together the portfolio that we have. Right. Uh, I understand that you have a, uh, an interesting relationship with uh, Mount St. Vincent's Center for Women in Business. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about uh, the importance of this relationship to the work that you're doing. Yeah, sure. The, the Center for Women in Business has been has been a good partner for uh, essentially since the inception of, of Sandpiper. And, and our mandates to support growth of women-led businesses are very closely aligned. Um, 
We've collaborated on programming with them, on training for um, women investors, training for women entrepreneurs um, in, in tech in the province. Um, and in general, we are a very collaborative player. So we work closely with a number of partners in the region and across the country really to drive as much value through collaboration as we can. We are not a competitive player. We believe very strongly that a rising tide raises all ships and there is space for all of us um, and, uh, and capital needed for, for many companies in, this, uh, in the ecosystem. Uh, I also wanted to find out kind of how many prospective companies do you have in your funnel, I guess, uh, at any one time in terms of uh, mm. taking a look at them as uh, potential uh, opportunities for your fund? Yeah, we have, we have hundreds of companies in the pipeline system. Um, and we do encourage companies to reach out directly. Um, we get a significant number of, of referrals each week. Um and we're very keen to get to know companies early on, um, even if they're not ready for a Sandpiper investment, so that we can build the re relationships that I referred to earlier and track progress prior to investment. Mm -hmm. At any given time, we have 10 to 15 that we are seriously evaluating and investigating. Okay. Uh, I know it's still early days, but do you have any idea or about the performance of your investments since its inception? Because obviously people who are putting money in, even if they have a longer term perspective, you said five to seven years, that, that is a patient investor these days for sure. Um, you know, where are you in terms of your investments today? It is early days, but um, but we do uh, we do aim to keep our, our limited partners, our investors well up to date on the portfolio. Um, We've been really pleased with the performance of the portfolio to date. We didn't see the outlandish valuations that were seen in many markets. Um, women don't tend to be overvalued. Companies in Atlantic Canada certainly weren't seeing those numbers. Um, so we don't expect to see major down rounds, which is a big risk in this market. Um, women are also extremely good at capital efficiency. So that's very important in these times. And we work really closely with the portfolio to extend runway. And our, our portfolio at the moment is either very well funded or currently moving close to fundraising and seeing really good success even in this market. And several of our companies have already raised subsequent funding since our initial investment with very strong multiples, even in this market. So it is early days, but we are very pleased with, um, with the performance of the portfolio to date. Uh, again, this is probably a difficult question to answer, but you know, I'm, I I look at this as an as somebody who's done lots of investments in my life. What what expect expectations do investors have in terms of a return on investment? They, they, you know, they give you X dollars. What do they hope? They're not doing it for free, obviously. But what is their hope that they'll get as a result of that X investment? Yeah, yeah. Um we target a, a, a three times return on investment. So if you give me $1, I, I aim to give you back three over the course of the fund. Um, and we are very clear with all of our investors that early stage investing is inherently risky. We communicate mm -hmm. this um, um, very clearly to our LPs. But a calculated risk in an untapped and overperforming area can yield superior returns. And, and if you look historically at VC returns, particularly in more mature markets, 
um, you know, they they drastically outstrip the um, you know the, the public market certainly. Um, so it's uh, it's and and that's the that's the uh, the target that we are seeking as well. And and our research has demonstrated that women-led companies in the industries that we're looking at um, have great potential to to yield just those superior returns. Yeah. So, so to be uh, clear, the the twenty million dollar fund one that you have in in five to seven years, if everything goes according to plan, you'll have a three time uh, return on that investment uh, for the people who put money into the fund. That's that is the time. Our, our, that, our that, that, and our and our the time frame of the fund itself is is ten years, but we hope to we anticipate that we'll start harvesting in a five to seven year period. Okay. Um, okay. And certainly that is the um, the target that we have that is supported by historical performance from from other funds um, and uh, and the research that uh, that we have done. But of course, we we provide no guarantees. It is a it is a risky asset. No, of course. <laughs> Oh no, I understand that part for sure. <clears throat> uh, just a couple of final questions, Rihanna. Um, you recently announced an investment in Gut Care, which I thought was kind of interesting, which is creating an AI technology platform again in the healthcare uh, sector. You know, healthcare is a big business. Tell us a little bit about that investment and where the company is in terms of its uh, stage of development. Yeah. And I, and I encourage anybody who has um, family members or friends that are in need of, of long-term care or at-home care to, to look up gotcare.ca. Um, it is an incredibly necessary um, healthcare solution in a time like this when there is a shortage of, of healthcare workers and, uh, and an incredible need in, in an aging population. But what GotCare does is essentially matches caregivers to um, those in need um, and manages on their platform um, in collaboration with the insurance company, the, um, the, uh, the payment of those workers. The workers are um, provided with a, um, a living wage, which is unusual for, for, for long-term uh, um, caregivers. And one of the reasons why so many people are, are shifting away from, uh, from the industry um, the solution is is providing support, particularly for people in rural areas in Canada, um, and um, it's a generated in such a way that um, the it matches the supply and demand that that we have not effectively and efficiently been able to uh, to, to support and strips out a lot of the the middle players um, that enables the company to pay the caregivers in such a way that they can uh, they can support and and uh, um, and continue to, uh, to to stay in the industry. So uh, this company is live, as they say, and generating revenue. Is it? This company is live and generating revenue and significant, significant uh, growth figures. Um, they are currently in seven provinces, um, including um, uh, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, and uh, and New Brunswick. Okay. Well, and how old is this company? How how long has it been around? They have been around since two thousand and eighteen. Okay, so that's good progress for sure. Uh, finally, I'd like uh, like to find out about the what you see as the major challenges and I guess opportunities for Sandpiper looking ahead. 
I am an optimist. So I, I, I see, uh, I see huge opportunities. Um, I see huge opportunities to invest in and support a, an incredibly rich pipeline of women-led technologies in Canada and particularly in Atlantic Canada. And these opportunities are growing as a fund. Our biggest challenge is to ensure that we continue to raise funds um, to ensure that we can continue to support and invest in these opportunities and provide them not only with capital, but with the right level of operator support to uh, to enable them to to grow their businesses in in Canada and particularly as export opportunities and, and as and as valuable um, Canadian IP. Um, so access to capital is our most pressing challenge. For the fund and for the companies that um, that we work with, um, and we will continue to pursue that to to support um, women-led companies across the country and uh, and particularly here in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, and I suppose it's you know now that you have your first fund sort of successfully uh, uh, in place, uh, the second one will kind of depend on how well the first one does, right? It's, it's a kind of that kind of cycle that you're in. You have to prove yourself now probably to get the you know, the next one going uh, to the same degree. Um, uh, one, one question I, I, I should have asked you, obviously you, you, you invest capital in these companies. Are you providing them with uh, advice and mentorship as well? We are. And, and that was part of the, the research work that we did at the very beginning was women are looking for capital and they're looking for a very specific type of what we call surgical support. Um, mm particularly in a market like this. Uh, our general partners have been through market downturns. We've taken companies through challenging times before, um, whether it be challenging transactions, um, challenging refinancing, um, uh, M&A opportunities, growth into new markets. And what our founders communicated that they are looking for is surgical support. When I have a problem, I know who I can pick up the phone and they will be able to talk this talk me through this. We are not in any way sort of pushing our um, operations on the companies, but sitting in and, and, and providing our services and our support as they, as they, as they need it for specific reasons and specific challenges that they need to overcome. Right. Right. And I, I'm, I'm assuming members of your advisory board are also available for that mentorship as well. That's the value of the advisory board, is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They've been uh, incredible uh, advocates for uh, and supporters of the companies in the portfolio and outside. And that's a, that's a, a, a rich organization. Uh, well, Rihanna, uh, th uh, thanks for joining us on the Insights uh, podcast to provide an overview of uh, Sandpiper's work. And congratulations on getting this off the ground. I know it hasn't been easy, but uh, obviously you're you're leading the way in Atlantic Canada for a venture fund for female-led uh, companies. And, uh, you know, that's a big deal. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast to highlight the work that you're doing and we will continue to follow the, your progress with a great interest going ahead. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation. And on behalf of uh, Sarah Young and Kathy Bennett, my two partners, we want to thank you very much as well for, uh, for giving us this time. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.